Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, good job, my friend. Hi guys, and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of Slaughter. Yeah, and you're probably listening to this in a brand spanking new year. So, new year, new year, what are your resolutions? Don't be fat. <laughs> It's the same one every year. <laughs> Don't be fat. I'm going to go full vegan again because I've been cheating. I want to apologise now to all of the animals. But the problem with putting stuff out on the internet is once it's on the internet, it's there forever. So a year from now when I'm eating a Big Mac, I'm like, you said you were going to be a mm-hmm. vegan. It's no longer just me holding you accountable. It's <laughs> yeah. like thousands of people around the world are also going to be really disappointed in you. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm sorry, animals. You just taste delicious. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have a test of a little vegan. I'm going to try it for a couple of weeks and see how I feel. Because I I do know it's the right thing to do. (laughs) It is the right thing to do. And I listened the other day to um, the Adam Buxton podcast where he interviewed Simon Amstel about his veganism. And I was like, I know it's right. Simon Amstel is always right. (laughs) (laughs) I am in the cult of Amstel. (laughs) And... So I'm going to try it for a bit. And then if it meets too delicious, then I'll just go back to murdering animals again, I guess. (laughs) So I'm going to try and be vegan and then exercise, obviously, and then hydrate because all I drink is tea. Same. But the thing is, if I drink water, then I need to pee and I'm a teacher. I don't get time to pee. You should because my little sister, so she's only 23, 24. She was in hospital with kidney stones a few weeks back because she's just become a teacher. (laughs) Only drank tea. That's so, it, that's going to be me. I'm, I'm, I must have a big old gallstone somewhere. It's building up and I'm going to need to laser it out at some point because I've had years of not drinking enough water. I'm going to try. I'm going to try and hydrate. I'm going to timetable some pee time in. Maybe just switch to like squash first. Like <laughs> have like the methadone of, of beverages. Iced tea. I don't think that counts, does it? No, probably not. But like blackcurrant squash fine yeah hot squash even better you won't even know what you're drinking mm. i am first and i'm gonna tell you about D- oh, shit. dale cregan have you heard of dale cregan i have not but then my memory is the yeah. worst i've heard of everyone once and forgotten yeah i think you might know it because everyone i've mentioned who i'm doing they've gone oh yeah when i told them what he did you was he, I mean? was he the one that murdered people he, yeah he did it i a, knew it some murders i'm a genius so he is, this is a Manchester story. I okay. spent a year living there, I feel like, like, I know the area, you know. 
Um, so he was born at Tamside General Hospital on 6th of June, 1983. So he's not that much older than we are. No. And he's already in prison for a long, long time. Um, he had an older brother and a younger sister and he began selling weed at high school. So he started small. I don't know that's small. Like <laughs> if you're at high school, like start oh. smelling... I don't know, like those little sherbet sticks and stuff. <laughs> don't start selling weed. They all sell That's a definite weed. escalation from something. Start what? smelling like... Smelling. Start selling like bootleg CDs. That's what a lot of people <laughs> did. That's what my brother did. Mixtapes. He just started copying all of his CDs and selling them. Yeah. I don't know. They all Five for a pop. That's quite expensive for a crappy CD that someone has like scanned in the front cover of on old <laughs> yeah. scanners. Yes. The, the resolution was like pixels the size of coasters. Always Green Day. Here's a Green Day scan. A lot yeah. of red hot chili peppers and Green Day knockoffs. Yeah. I'm sorry, Green Day. They probably needed the money as we well. We thought we were your biggest fans, but yet refused to spend any money on you whatsoever. <laughs> um, his father, Paul Cregan, was a tool setter. And his mother was, I don't know, like a woman. You know, not allowed to work. Professional homemaker. Uh, no one said, so clearly it wasn't important. Um, so Cregan's father left the family. Um, I and... mean, she was a professional homemaker and she raised a murderer. They're kind of like, <laughs> Yeah, let's not be a bummer about it. <laughs> Leave your failures out of this. Um, so his father basically did a runner. He ran off with a younger model, um, a former policewoman. Um, so that's going to be relevant later. And she had worked for Greater Manchester Police. During the time... In Manchester, there were two prolific gang families warring. There were the Shorts and the Atkinsons. I mean, it's not as exotic as the Capulets and the Montagues, but it was sort of the same premise. Fighting over land, fighting over mostly where they're going to sell their drugs, really. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Cregan would often have quite aggressive fights with the Shorts um, and the short nephews. So it was it was a lot like the Capulets and the Montagues where the nephews were involved. There were also people who were sort of friends of the family involved. And that kind of the ones who did the dirty work weren't necessarily... The ones the, that were scrapping the, on the side. Well, the family. It was always like And do you know who will have had to deal with the fallout of all of this? The fucking teachers. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have had kids coming into school saying, ma, 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 why has this happened? You're in, when you're in science together, you get along perfectly. But out on the streets, they're fighting. What can I do about it? Nothing. There used to be, do you know, there was that big gang in our hometown that is now gone. Yeah. And um, our mutual friend, who was a teacher at our school she said that she had one of the kids was at the school and she had to call in the dad who was the leader of this big gang and he came in with all his tattoos rings and things and she had to be like your kid's being a bit naughty in school she said he was really reasonable and nice yeah well there is a downside i mean to get serious for a second i have a child at my school who is the son of someone who's was involved until he was in prison involved in a drug gang and this kid has got he's five years old and he has severe ptsd because he has seen members of his family been hacked with machetes and he's seen his family then go and machete other people and they're like oh we didn't think it would be a problem Mm, yeah your kid has serious issues (laughs) he's scared of all adults it's not quite the same as giving him the Netflix password. Like. But, like, but then when you bring his dad in, he is reasonable. He's like, oh, I thought having a kid would be funny. It'd just be like, <laughs> we just have a laugh together all the time. And yeah, he still needs to be, know his phonics. You know how I and know to that? not be terrified of grown-ups. Do you know how I know that I'm not ready for a kid? 
Because you want to machete people without upsetting anyone. Because <laughs> I dreamed last night that I had a baby and I wasn't too pleased with it. And then my baby had like a little weird hunchback. And that's the worst thing you could think of. <laughs> and I was like, how long till I can get rid of this child <laughs> in the dream? Yeah. I'm sure there's things we can do about hunchbacks now. Can't you just shave down a hunchback? I mean, it was progress because I didn't immediately want to kill it. And I didn't, I didn't hate it in the dream. But I just wasn't just that I had it. I think a lot of people are probably not thrilled about the children they have. That's some anxiety there, isn't it? Dreaming that you've got a deformed... I mean, it was a grotesque looking baby. It wasn't cute with a little hunchback. Like, it was horrible. It wasn't Disney Quasimodo. It was 1930s Quasimodo. (laughs) Like those weird little screamy dolls that you get. With like the evil face. Yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, I've so. now trapped my creepy little doll inside <laughs> the biggest wine glass around. So it's in its own little bell jar where it can just scream eternally. <laughs> You'd like a little circle of salt around it. It's a wine that. glass that holds an entire bottle of wine. And creepy dolls. And now a creepy doll. So Cregan, basically he was part of the Atkinson family and he would have fights with the Short family. And he um, left school. I don't know if he got any qualifications or not, but... It was the 80s, no one really cared. And he went to visit his sister in Tenerife. He came back and he had a, a quite a big collection of knives. After he came back from Tenerife, he started buying guns as well. So he had the whole... I thought Tenerife was nice. I thought that until Luke went and my brother stag do and the best man got mugged. What? And there's a I lot thought of... Tenerife was where your grandparents went on holiday. I think there's an area that's pretty rough. Oh. Apparently there were a lot of prostitutes. Sex yeah, workers. but that's true. Everywhere. Yeah. Sex workers, sorry. So he also stepped it up. Cregan started um, dealing cocaine as well. Um, and he was making up to 20 grand a week. I mean, this is the problem. Selling drugs pays a lot of money. You do all right. Yeah, let's make drugs legal. Flood the market. No one gets paid anything for them. So if you want to grow drugs, it has to be because you really love gardening. <laughs> But like, that's the only way. And the gardeners deserve the money. Because for a lot of kids who aren't going to get a good job, my kids say to me all the time, I say, what are you going to do when you get older? And they say, I'm a drug dealer. Do they like, say that to honestly, you? And actually, that's probably the most money they're ever going to make if that's their option. Because they are not going to get... I mean, they could eventually get a good job, but it's instant money, isn't it? It's instant gratification. Problem is, they take the drugs as well and then they get all fucked up. Because when they grow up, they want to join the Gucci gang. Oh, what's the Gucci gang? It's the thing I learned about. It's from a song and they go, Gucci gang, Gucci gang, Gucci gang. Sounds like, Charlie, Charlie, are you there? Like some sort of I think that's if you say Gucci gang three times into a Rolex. Then you join the Gucci gang. Yeah. And when did wearing big necklaces become such a thing? Well, it was for a while and it went away. Is it back? It's back in the Gucci gang. Anyway, he'd um, spend a lot of his money going to Thailand um, to stay in Koh Samui, or he'd go to France, or he'd go to Amsterdam, and it's thought probably a lot of these were kind of drug runs or getting guns. So he was back and forth to places. Um, in Thailand, he got into a fight, and although he said that he got hit in the eye with a knuckle duster, people who sort of dealt with it afterwards said there was no bruising around his eye, and he probably had someone pluck his eye out with a knife. What? Right. So he's one. Or spoon it out. Or spoon it out. I mean that I, that word plucked really doesn't fit the the concept of tearing out your eyeball, does it? Like plucked is like, I'm gonna pluck some berries. I'm gonna pluck some feathers. I'm gonna yeah. pluck my hair. 
No, gonna, but you hot spoon an eyeball. I'm going to rip out your eyeball. Maybe you got, maybe you just sneezed with sneezed with his eyes open. With one eye open. Sneezed with one eye open, yeah. So from then on, he's pretty recognisable. He's got one eye and just a hole. Um... So, I wonder what the whole, the inside of the hole feels like. You know, if you put your finger in it and touch the sides. I had an uncle with one eye. I should have. Did you ever it. put your finger in it? No. Did he put his finger in it? I imagine so. We he had a glass it. eye. But do you know what? You couldn't even tell his eye was glass, really. You'd oh no, think, they look really good. But you'd think because you're looking left to right and it doesn't move, it'd be really obvious. Shows how little eye contact you ever make. <laughs> yeah. Avoid it was everyone. An awkward face. <laughs> that's that's the thing with uncles, isn't it? Just don't look them in the face, <laughs> and they won't say anything inappropriate. Yeah. Um, so by now he was only 24 he's got one eye he's a drug dealer and he clearly had two working bollocks or an eye patch because he got a girl pregnant so she was called Georgia Merriman and she was also from Manchester and they had a son and they lived in a three bed semi in Droylsden which is part of Manchester 20,000 a week and he's only got a semi detached I thought that fuck off in 2008 uh, there was a truce between the Atkinsons and their shorts and they said it's not worth it even though uh, and the Atkinsons, like the the sort of the the main guy, his father's kneecap had been blown off in a pub brawl, oh. and Short, the main guy from that group, uh, believed that Cregan had attacked him and cut his throat. But Just the him. kneecap. Just the kneecap. So apparently. like the leg was still attached at the back, and the kneecap's gone. Hmm. Apparently blown off across the room. I wonder if he kept the leg and was just like, I'm double jointed now. <laughs> I can twizzle it round like an actual pop- that that scarecrow dance. He's a sick break dancer now. He can just swing <laughs> his leg all the way around his head. Is that what he? The joints do? were just holding me back. <laughs> I hate getting jabbed by a kneecap as well. There's, like some people have got knobbly knees. I've always had big round mound knees. <laughs> yeah, but not because you're fat. You just well, like my fingers are like you're like child safe. <laughs> like, all your edges are just blurred. Yeah, there's nothing spindly about me. I'm just blobby. I've put on weight and I've definitely gone face first, honestly. I can feel myself Head first into (laughs) obesity. Honestly, it starts on the head and works its way down. Luke said I'm like a hamster just staring it in my cheeks. Slow release carbs. In what way? Well, they're still in my face currently. Anyway. In 2012, the truce ended because they got wasted in the pub. And as all British dramas... And they started reminiscing. <laughs> like, remember the good old days when we used to blow people's limbs off? Um, so, Teresa Atkinson, who was the mother of the family... Razor? Teresa. Oh. I thought it said to Razor Atkinson. <laughs> well, I'm not... I don't think she's that innocent in all of this. She threw a bottle at a Raymond Young, who was one of the short family. Um, and then he slapped her. So, she was having none of that. And she called up her sons and said... We're back on and we're going to get this guy. So, she started it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe she was a bit bored. She was like, my kids are growing up. Empty nest syndrome. <laughs> I'm going to start a feud. I want an excuse to phone my son before Christmas. You never hang around so much now the gang warfare's over. <laughs> so she phoned her son, Leon, and said, we're going to get the short family. And um, Leon phoned Cregan. Now, Cregan was very much... One of the, he was one of the gang, but he was one of the gang that they would sort of use because he would get his hands dirty. Whereas the ones, sort of the Atkinsons and the actual shorts, 
they didn't want anything that they could actually go down for. So he was kind of the muscle, so to speak. So they would phone him and say, Cannon fodder. Right, I'm telling you what to do and this is what you're doing. So 12 days later, Cregan and two other members of the Atkinson gang, but again, not direct family members, went into the Cotton Tree pub. I mean, everything happens in a pub in this story, um, in Doylestown, and they shot Mark Short fatally. So the son of the Short family. Right. Um, David Short, the father, had been in the toilet at the time. He came out, his son died in his arms. So he made it known that as a revenge, because he knew Cregan was involved, he was going to find Cregan's son, kidnap him, burn him, and rape him. I mean, that says in more which about... which order? <laughs> it says more about him than it does about yes. revenge. It's, I mean, it's almost like an excuse. Like, I don't want to be... Yeah, like, <laughs> oh, I'm definitely not a paedophile. Like... <laughs> You definitely want an excuse. Like, you went to raping children at the first possibility. I'm not sure it's wise to call the member of a gang family a paedophile. But he always rapes our children. Have all. Yeah, that does say more about you. No. So. That's horrific. Really bad. bad. I hope it didn't happen. No, it didn't. So, Cregan said, basically, um, he was going to kill David Short first. Right. So... Um, because he wanted to protect his child. I mean, yes. which he would. Fair enough. Um, so the police warned Short that his life was in danger. But also, I mean, it, it's a weird dynamic, isn't it? You've got two gang families and they've sort of got their own rules. And then you've got the police getting involved, knowing that something's going on. But then also They've obviously got really... a man on the inside if they know that he's going to... Cregan had a man him. on the inside that... Um, well they had there was a woman that worked for the police and she was friends with one of Cregan's friends so she would pass information about right. what was going on and within sort of the police force and who they were looking for I think she lost her job because of that and things so in August 2012 Cregan and Anthony Wilkinson um parked a, a van outside of Short's house and they began to shoot into the house now, he ran to the back of the house, and I think he was killed by one of the gunshots, but what Cregan did, and he did this again afterwards, um, was he got a grenade and threw it into the house. I mean, it's pretty rare that you hear of grenades in the UK. Yeah. But... Um, you didn't come by them every day. It became a bit of a calling card for him. Um, so Short was killed. They also threw a grenade into a house nearby that was intended for a man called Hark, but the grenade bounced off the window frame and then exploded in the front garden. They need to stop making these grenades out of rubber. <laughs> yeah. It's not working out as planned. Um, so Cregan said that that night, the night that he shot David Short, was the best night's sleep that he's ever had, which is pretty sadistic. Okay. So 18th September 2012, Cregan's on the run and he did something that is kind of out of character, I would say. It wasn't linked to the Short and Atkinson families. Obviously, he, the police were looking for him. He had one eye, so it's difficult to hide. Um, his accomplices were in custody. They were giving information about him to try and get a shorter sentence for themselves. So they were basically saying it was all him. Now, they were looking for Cregan in Manchester because he'd always been in Manchester. His family were there, and they just assumed that was where he'd be hiding out. Um, and they did... Have you seen... Um, is it Hunted? Yeah. Um, and you've seen all the tactics that they use where they tap people's phones who might be known to the criminal and they kind of scope out certain areas and they have a really good idea of where they might go. 
I just watched Celebrity Hunted because I wanted to watch Jamie and Spencer. Well, I still haven't finished that. I didn't finish it either because I got bored. I kind of just get boring after a while. I was like, just catch them already. <laughs> digress because it was Celebrity Hunted. I wanted to watch Jamie and Spencer, but they don't show you one story at a time. Mm. They kept cutting between lots of people that were being hunted. One of which was two guys out of The Wanted. Mm. And they kept acting like, we're so famous. We're going to need to hide our identity. I was like, bitch, I wouldn't know you if I fell over you. Yeah, Nobody honestly. cares. Um, so he couldn't hide out with anyone that he knew because the police were obviously balls to the wall looking for him. And then the police sort of search was costing £150,000 a day. Um, that is what I think about Hunted. I'm like, as much as it is impressive how they can catch someone, I can't believe that your local police stations are able to put all of that stuff in place. You can't just tap people's phones because you think they're friends with someone, surely. If you're if like if you go missing, murder, if you're on the run, the police are going to just be allowed to tap my phone. If you're on the run to mur- for murder, yeah, never ring me again. If it's, <laughs> but I mean, if you if you commit a murder, I probably won't. Yeah, but you can just tap anyone's phone who may or may not harbour a murderer. That seems like excessive. Okay. <laughs> Do you want to rethink that? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> no, but I mean, okay, maybe not that flippantly, but I'm surprised. It obviously clearly does take a lot of money to follow someone to try and track them that closely. Yeah. Because you have to have so many people doing all the different yeah. avenues. So I wouldn't be surprised if not, if that wasn't always done for every person that was on the run. But also they, they do so many things like build up a profile of who they are. They look at all their backstory because, um, you know, they can look at, who, who have you known years ago who you're likely to go to, who might you associate with? And it's amazing how much they can sort of pinpoint it's probably going to be one of these people. And obviously, that's for a TV show, but in real life, when it's actually a murderer, they're even more motivated. So um, they they kind of thought that, because Cregan knew that he was going to get caught eventually, he was staying away from his family because he didn't want to, he knew that they'd be scoping them out. But they also thought anything that's annoyed him, anyone who's annoyed him or is an enemy of him, is at risk. So they issued a thing called a threat to life warning to anyone that they thought might be at risk of Cregan. And they issued over a hundred people this warning. Not a friendly guy. In the time that he like was Like I missing. couldn't even, like imagine having over a hundred enemies. Yeah. Like I don't think I've even got over a hundred friends. Well, I think they did it to people that were also his friends that he thought might, he might go and sort of manipulate as well. But I didn't even know there was a threat to life warning. I don't know what good it is. Like, please come around going, you might die. I guess you can just be more vigilant. Start locking your actual door. So they also carried out over 60 armed raids on properties in Manchester. They thought he could be at. And they issued a reward of £25,000 for any information leading to his arrest. And then they doubled it to £50,000 when no one came forward. But everyone knew that if they said anything, they're probably going to die. So no one came forward. Officers were given briefings. So any officer that was working for Manchester Police was given a briefing on the situation, told how to react if they encountered Cregan, um, because obviously they would probably know because he's a one-eyed criminal pretty quickly that it's him. So how to minimise danger and also the possibility that he might have grenades because that's the thing that he does. Um, his final actions as a free man were one that no one really predicted though. So he picked and just a- all I can think about in my head, every time you mention his one eye, why didn't he get a glass one? Well, you might have done, but... Like, why um, be like, Ooh. If you're on the run, that's one way. Target all the glass eye shops. He should have had one already. If a one-eyed man comes in here, they'd be like, um. Just close one eye. I don't know. I feel like it's his own fault he got caught. 
and also for the murders. That's also his fault. So the final things that he did was he picked a house in Manchester that was owned by a barber that he used to go to. So really loose relation, probably one that they wouldn't have picked up on before. Um, and he and he was called Alan Whitwell. Now Krieger knocked on the door and then walked into the house where Whitwell and his girlfriend and their seven-year-old daughter lived. And he told the family, he basically took them hostage. So he said, do what I say and you won't get hurt. He then sent the family upstairs and basically got pissed on his own downstairs as kind of a farewell party to himself. Um, Surrounded by his guns, he had his grenades there as well. So they knew things weren't great. But he also took a bath and then went to bed. Um, So the family have been criticised a little bit in terms of saying, why didn't they call the police and report that he was there at that time? But I think they were just terrified they had this seven-year-old daughter in the house. I guess you'd rather think he might get up in the morning feeling refreshed and leave yeah. than if we call the police and they come here. He's surrounded by, you know that's going to be like a shootout situation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? You wouldn't and antagonise they, someone with your kid in the house like he's, that. He's on the run. They probably assumed that he wanted somewhere to stay for the night. So in the morning, Cregan told Alan to go to work because he didn't want to arouse any suspicion. Alan did, but he was really scared that Cregan was home with his wife and his daughter. So he made an excuse and went home. Um, However, his girlfriend did take their daughter to school. She thought about contacting police, but she was still too scared. Um, And Cregan told Alan to give him a haircut when he got back. So (laughs) he had his hair shaved. I want to look nice in my mugshot. Then he made a false report by dialing 999 and he said that the window of the house that he was at had been smashed with a concrete slab so two female officers were sent to investigate fiona bone who was 32 and nicola hughes age 23 and that seems really young for a police officer to me but i guess they don't know but if you think the situation is someone has come they think it's vandalism though don't they yeah i mean i'm not i just think to be a police officer 23 but then i also think be a teacher at 21 <laughs> what do 21s know about mm. the world nothing it's just young to do anything isn't it really to have a proper job um so as soon as they arrived Cregan began shooting at them he shot fiona eight times she tried to taser him but she she was hit in the heart so she was killed by a shot oh, to the heart nicola that's so brave to have tried to mm. taser someone with a gun at you Nicola was paralysed by the first bullet and then he shot her three times in the head point blank range. So he was set out to kill them. He killed them very, very quickly as soon as they arrived. He then left the house in uh, Lisa's BMW, so the girlfriend, and then he threw a grenade at the bodies. Kind of like... That was... That's weird. Obviously, it's horrible. I can't understand his motivations for that. Well, the thing, what they think was he wanted to go out in a bit of a blaze of glory because what he did next was he drove straight to a police station and basically handed himself in. So he wanted some kind of last stick it to the man. I've killed the popos. You know, it's gang warfare. He hates police people. His dad ran off with a policewoman. Um, I think he was probably annoyed they'd sent two police women because it made him look more of a dick. I think if he'd killed two police men, I don't know. It's almost like different rules apply, isn't it, to some extent. But um, I think he just wanted to kind of like a one-up. I just think in terms of a blaze of glory, like a final blaze of glory, that isn't, that's not going to cut it for me. (laughs) For several, for one, no one else was around to see it. Like if you want a blaze of glory, you kick up enough stink so that the media arrive. Like no one one knows you've done that. Yeah, but the media are going to write about that, for sure. 
So no one was there to see that you'd done it. And then to just hand yourself into the police, like, have a car chase. You're going to end up in the police anyway. Like, have a car <laughs> chase. you didn't break have, enough Stand laws. on top of a building and have them megaphone you down. There's many more ways to get attention than just being like, oh, hi, I did a thing. Oh, no, the bad guy. No, come on. Give me something that I can turn into a film later. <laughs> so the way that he he handed himself in is so he drove straight to the police station. He, um, on the phone to his girlfriend at the time, he walked up to the front desk to be arrested. I mean, imagine if he'd been waiting in line for like Well, like, like walking, <laughs> shooting. Like, come on, where's no. the drama here? Imagine if you've been there in Bring line for like 20 drama. minutes and no one said anything. It's, sir, can you just wait a moment? <laughs> We've just yeah. got a, so can you just wait a moment? We've just heard about a grenade being launched through a window. But they did recognise him straight away, jumped over the desk, arrested him. He was still on the phone to his girlfriend. He said, I've just done two coppers and I've also, I'm wanted for murder. And then obviously put on trial. His trial cost five million pounds. Um, and every time he left the prison, he had to be fully searched because obviously he could be taking stuff in and out of the prison. And that included his eye socket. Well, like, yeah, so they yeah. did stick their fingers yeah. in and waggle it round. Every time. It's a perfect place for a little bag of drugs. I know, it's quite a cool Maybe that's why he didn't get a glass eye then. Well, maybe he did, but in the photos, he's just a socket. Um, So psychologists interviewed him as well as part of his sort of, if he fit to stand trial type thing. They said that he displays all the traits of a psychopath. Yeah, so he was a total shit. He didn't care about anyone. He kind of got into this gang life, but I guess he's the perfect gangster because he just didn't care. I'm going to say he wasn't in that gang life because he was involved in the family feuds and the passion and the hate. He was involved in it because he's like, I love beating people up, so I'll beat up people for you. Yeah. I love grenading people. Than making 20 grand a week on drugs. I can't believe that. He's, he's inflated those figures. Yeah, so that is Dale Cregan. But quite a few people that I've said, do you know Dale Cregan? They've said no. And I said, oh, I'm Manchester. And they said, oh, the policewoman. He's quite known for... Right, this tale. So, thanks, Luce. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Okay. 
för New Year's Eve. No, for your story. Oh, <laughs> so my. Sp- I love this. Hi, pressure. This is my happiness. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like doing this podcast. Oh, don't make me cry. It's New Year's Eve. Like I'm emotional anyway. <laughs> Being <down>. retrospective. <laughs> I said the podcast, not you. Shut up. I know what you meant. You meant to say you're my friend, and I love you. And when I spend time with you, I'm happy. That's what I heard. Okay. So <laughs> the story that I'm going to talk about is about a woman called Elvira Barney is how she's most sounds like a cartoon character well known. sounds like two cartoon characters just spliced together yeah well she's like a picture when I'm talking picture like Betty Boop I'm thinking like Betty Boop crossed with a pig Ooh. like Barney the pig Barney 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 the dinosaur yeah but someone draw Betty Boop as Barney the di- dinosaur that will make my year do it quick before the end of the year it's been a shit year. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a shit year, and what we all need is the image of Betty Boop and Barney the dinosaur. If someone can write some fan fiction about them actually getting together and then having this hybrid yeah, creature, amazing. This is like the time period for this story is like that. It's the Roaring Twenties when all this was kicking off, and um, I love the Twenties. Very Gatsby, all of that stuff. So um, the majority of this research comes from a book called They Died by a Gun, written by Rupert Furneaux, who seems to be... Um, a, a big fan of, of the podcast. No, he's, oh. I'm pretty sure he's dead, but a bit of a, like a man about town. Like in some of the stories in his book, he's yeah, and then I met them in a club later and oh. asked them about the book. So he's like the English Truman Capote, I think. And... Also, then while I was researching, there is a blog by a guy called Maurice Bottomley called Cocktails with Elvira, which is as fabulous as it sounds. And it's the most in-depth labor of love that I've ever seen published on the internet. It's fabulous. So if anyone's interested in this case... Oh, I'm hoping they get... I hope they check the stats and there's some random huge spike yes, because of our podcast. Re- look, honestly, he's an amazing man the amount of research he's done in tracking people down and reading about around the history of what's gone on he's amazing so i can't include everything he's done and i should nor should i because he put a lot of work into it but if you're interested read his blog leave him a nice message so elvira was born in 1905 and the details from the 1911 census um listed her as elvira enid mullins And she lived in her home with her wealthy parents in a London townhouse. And as well as her two siblings, the house also had staff of over 20 servants to meet their every need. Bloody hell. I mean, that's like a job, looking after 20 servants. One's ill, one's got a problem, one was had their arse touched by someone they didn't like. Like, that is like a job, being in control of staff. In fact, I watched a programme about the rich and famous, and it said that some of them... It's nice to have staff, but some of them get so sick of being the boss. Possibly. Well, she was known to have a bit of disdain, like known to be rude to people, like rude to Mm. taxi drivers and things like that. Like she just was quite entitled. Um, Her father was Sir John Mullins, who was a government broker, and a lady called Evelyn Ligg, who shared a room with Elvira boarding school, said that she was, quote, a true example of the poor little rich girl who had everything but happiness. End quote. So, Bratty, she's got everything she wants, but she's still never going to be happy about it. She can't it. fill that hole. Pain in the arse. She then goes on to describe how a short while after they left school, Elvira became really seriously ill and had to undergo an operation on her mastoid. 
I do know. So it's a part of the skull. Um, something to do with chewing? Yeah, it's mastication. Like behind, yeah, it's like behind your ear. So it's that stop part. masticating around me. <laughs> that part of the skull. Um, it's thought to be linked to middle ear disease, which now, if you look at middle ear disease, is like a perfectly chill illness to have. But <laughs> in the nineteen hundred, like early nineteen hundreds, it obviously became quite serious. They had to operate on it, and again, nineteen twenties operating on your skull is basically a lobotomy. I would have thought. And so it was thought by some doctors, not widely, that this middle ear disease had some links with schizophrenia. Now that could possibly, because when they actually operate on it, they end up fucking you up in the head. <laughs> but her, this old school chum, Evelyn, she commented that after the operation, it had the Ill, quote the illness had seemed to affect her adversely in a number of ways. So. I don't know if maybe actually something had gone wrong with this operation. Maybe it wasn't as smooth as possible. Because like there's lots of things. If you have a brain injury, it can really affect you. Oh you know? yeah, Phineas Gage, the like sort of the poster boy of brain injuries, <laughs> the guy who had a metal bar through his brain, totally changed in terms of his personality. Like, your brain can totally. It's like um. During your frontal lobe, behind the skull, you've got loads of really spiky parts of the skull to sort of hold it in place. If you have a really bad knock to the head, your frontal lobe can go into it and then you can just become a prick. Oh, that's interesting. Or start feeling people up on the bus. (laughs) There's a Louis Theroux documentary where he spoke to people who suffered brain injuries. And at the very least, like, sort of mood swings and things. And um, it was said that one of the most notable differences was she had following this illness she had a complete lack of focus and concentration but then that's obviously the sort of things that her friends are seeing like you don't know mm. what other things maybe i'm reading too much into it but it just seems like no it is common with brain injuries and they say although i don't about... know if we can necessarily class it as a brain injury mm. but i'm just thinking in you know if in like 1920 you yeah really fucked up maybe they say that there's a couple of months after the injury where you'll make a lot of progress and then after that you're kind of stuck as you are because I used to work with a student who had been hit around the head with a metal bar because someone had said that he'd done something he was only young, he was about 18 someone had said that he'd done something that he hadn't and they'd, he'd gone to McDonald's and they tracked him down whacked him on the head with a metal bar, bless him and he made quite a lot of progress but they did say, because I worked with him kind of straight after and they did say, you know, if he doesn't show this improvement by this point it's kind of, that's it but I think he was okay in the end, bless him. So, Elvira, despite this, she still was very much a socialite and she was thought to be part, I don't know, you, you all know about the set of bright young things as they were called from the 1920s, like the young people, obviously the sort of people that um, Scott Fitzgerald was like often flappers. writing about. Yeah, they were, um, you know, drinking, partying, new style of dancing, new style of clothes, everything seemed to be getting much, much wilder. So she had a very healthy social life, but wasn't exactly very healthy herself. She was a very heavy drinker, taking drugs, and um, so not great in that way. Around 1924, um, when she was at the height of this, she stopped going by the name Elvira Edith and changed it to what she thought was the far more glamorous and exotic name of Elvira Dolores. Oh, it is a little bit. I thought it was going to be Elvira Barney. I was like, yeah, it's not. Well, Barney's in order later. to become Elvira Barney, in around 1928 or 1929, according to which source you read, so no one's... Well, as far as I can see, there's some 
disagreement on that. She There was a party at her parents' home in Belgrave Square and they hired uh, some entertainment for the evening, which was a group of American male singers known as the Three New Yorkers. So they did typical jazz harmony sort of thing in their in their top hat and tails. Now, a third of this group was John Sterling Barney, and he completely captivated Elvira. He was good-looking enough. Okay. <laughs> he's got an accent, so he goes up two points. Yeah, and he's in a band. Yeah, there's another point. He's like the lead singer of that, and they were... The lead singer, there's another point. Although not particularly... So he could be a three and then easily be a seven by now. That's pushed him up massively. Mm. I mean, she was an incredibly well rich heiress so the match wasn't looked upon favorably but he was flavor of the month in the music world and she was probably a bit starstruck as well so they were married against her parents wishes and it turned out that john was maybe not quite so much a gentleman behind closed doors as he had been elvira would confide in her friends that he was abusive and that he would regularly put out cigarettes on her skin it's said that she at one point held up her arms and it looked like there were bruises all over where he'd been putting out cigarettes we've definitely seen this before do you think that all men in the 20s and 40s and 30s were abusive or just the women who turned into murderers were with those men Mm. i feel like yeah maybe it's the fact that not all men were abusive but if you are getting abused by a man you, you didn't have you the options that we do now to liberate Ruth, yourself. Ruth Ellis was other the same, murdering them. Yeah. It's very similar to Ruth Ellis. There's loads of parallels that you mm. can draw between the two cases, definitely. Where's Ruth Ellis's blog? She maybe wasn't. <laughs> she was fabulous, but this girl comes from money, so she has a lot of connections with famous people. It's also from that period yeah. who maybe knew her, met her at parties, dined with her family. So I think it makes it a bit easier to trace sort of not easy. Maurice did a lot of fucking legwork. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. But it's possible to trace yeah. more of these things. So the pair would regularly have absolutely blazing rows. And it was only after around six months that John Barney headed back to the United States. And he wasn't really heard from again until later at the trial when he tried to make some money by st- selling his story about his marriage to Elvira. So he obviously thought that it wasn't worth it being married to her for money. She's quite young. She's not going to die anytime soon. Just fuck off back (laughs) to America. Um, It's thought of by some, particularly a man called Peter Coates, who wrote the biography of Elvira Barney, that it was the failure of her marriage that then sort of pushed her into going off the rails even further as she became even more involved in drinking and taking cocaine. And he also goes on to say that she became, quote... The demanding but generous mistress of a number of disorientated and sexually odd lovers. End quote. And I think sexually odd. I think that's safe to assume that it's old time you speak for being bisexual. Oh right. I thought it was gonna be like scout or something. Oh no, there's quite a lot of references to the fact that she was that she dated gay men. Now I'm not quite sure how. <laughs> Because oh, that, they will see that a couple of times that she that says she dated, she had affairs with gay men. I think, well, one, are they really gay if they're fucking her? Yeah, but also a lot of women were probably dating gay men, but they didn't know about it because the men weren't allowed to be gay. That's the other point. Maybe these men were gay and it was like, well, I'm not going to be openly gay. So hmm. I'll say that Elvira is my girlfriend and actually she's not. So it's Like a- an easy A where she says she goes along with stuff that she hasn't actually done. 
to help people out and then everyone brands her a slag. Yeah, so let's not frown on her for being sexually odd. She's actually say she's providing a vital service to a lot of closeted gay men. She's like, look, I'll be your lover. Maybe she's lovely. Mm. She was off her fucking tits on drugs. <laughs> so by 1932 now, um, so she's still only in her 20s, um, Elvira was involved in a relationship with one such sexually odd man called Michael Scott Stephen. So he's a good looking man. He's described by his brother as being sort of delicate, five foot nine. And he'd been living off an allowance from his father, but that had been stopped around two years prior to him being involved with Elvira. So he had no means really to support himself. And at the trial, his brother explained that this was around the same sort of time that he'd gone to Paris to work as a dress designer. So no particular reason um, is given, but in every source that I've read, dress designer was put in inverted commas. So, what, so he wasn't really a dress designer? Like, he was a so-called dress designer. So I don't know if they're just another way of saying, he's a bit feminine, he's obviously gay. <laughs> That's... I mean, that's it, it's kind of it seems like the people are it's using an, dress designer in a disparaging way. It's oddly specific. Or the fact that because he called himself a dress designer, they were like, "Well, do you design other clothes too?" The fact oh. that he just said dresses, like a man who designed for women. So I would assume that that's possibly why his dad cut off his allowance because he said he wanted to go to Paris and be a dress designer, but it clearly wasn't a success because at age twenty-five he was back in the UK and living with Elvira. And seemingly being supported by her. So pretty much she was like a sex servant. And she gets some dresses out of it. So bonus. Well, they didn't say he was a seamstress, so he can draw mm. the pictures he wants, but unless you're gonna make those I want them snatched in my body. So I mean, there's not many people that haven't really at some point or another, I can't think there's many people who haven't at least thought about what if I was a kept woman? Like, what if I could just have someone who paid for absolutely everything? All I had to do was have a little bit of lovely sex. Like, <laughs> you must... Uh, surely you've thought about it at some point. Oh, yeah. like, oh, wouldn't that be a nice lifestyle? Although, I don't think that being a kept man of Elvira was really all it was cracked up to be because she... The blazing rows that she had with John Barney might not have been entirely one-sided she seems to also have had a very ready temper. And Michael Scott Stephen would very often find himself, if they've had a row, he's got no house, he's got nothing. So she's like, well, leave then. Kicked oh. him out regularly, cast him out. And it's thought that on one occasion, following just such an incident, he was kicked out of the house at early hours of the morning. And so he was forced to spend the night sleeping in the back of a grocery van that was parked near her flat. And oh, I thought that would be the perfect time to come up with some vegetable puns. <laughs> they had to sleep in this greengrocer's van. So I asked the Facebook group to help me out. Amazing. And they've come up with some excellent examples. I'd like to share a few with you now. Lay them on me, sweetheart. They were super helpful. I haven't really asked anyone if I can use their names. So I'll just use your first name to give you a little bit of credit but okay. if you want to know who the pun geniuses were then join our facebook group um for slaughter the podcast and you can see them all so abby said let's hope they were both able to get some peas and quiet <laughs> like that one sarah said oh no one knew where he'd been <laughs> and, like cracker joke yeah right well i think that's maybe people in the mood for it andy said someone call it flower the police <laughs> This one is my actual favourite. 
Um, I think it's Callie or Kaylee says there wasn't mushroom in the van. Oh, I love a mushroom joke. I've got a little picture on my phone of a little mushroom that looks like a penis that says, I kind of put it in you, is, but there's not much room, something like that. I can share that if you like. Um, <laughs> that's one of the pictures I've kept throughout the years. Is it better than guitar but? Better than what? Oh, guitar butt. It's not better than guitar butt. Lucy has a really good picture that she saved of a guitar that looks like a butt. It does. That's it. Um, Cindy says, did he end up in celery? I don't get it. Like a, oh, in our celery. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> if I could read it, it'd be bad. Did he end up in our celery? Um, he didn't do anything wrong, Cindy, but you know that now. Uh, oh, Blair suggests, brought up the very important point of, where on earth does he go to take a leak? <laughs> I'm just pissed in the van, let's get real. Um, Chris came up with this, which isn't so much a sentence that I could have said, but it's like, if you could have a headline of this event happened, he went with, one potato, two potato, three potato, snore. I like that one. It makes no sense. Shah says, oh, it must have been a bit parsnippy out there. And Mark came up with, well, that the argument was squashed. I mean, these are getting worse. They definitely got worse. I mean, it's (laughs) (laughs) we're starting to... I was enjoying them at the beginning, but... Um, I had a one of my friends came up with um, he must have been doing a Swede in. I get it. You didn't call your head your Swede. Oh. Okay. Well, <laughs> some great vegetable puns. Great being mediocre. They did look. They did more work than I wanted to for that segment. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> but definitely go have a little read. Um, some good ones on there. Some not so good ones. Some rude ones. Oh. I'm not going to say them on the podcast. I'm better than that. I'm not better than that. No, you're not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he, it was commonplace that he would end up just out. Although I don't really know that. Who leaves their van unlocked? Greengrocers. Yeah, I mean, I my central locking won't lock the driver's door. But oh my God, if anyone ever finds out who you are on the podcast, <laughs> you're fucked because they know your house is unlocked. Yeah. You can't lock your car. Like they're coming for you and they're gonna take everything. I've been really They know your dogs are soppy shit like this. So um despite this tempestuous relationship, uh Michael's brother did say that they had been to his family and told them of their plans to get married once Elvira had got her divorce from John Barney. So it seemed like their relationship was um had a future. On the 31st of May, 1932, neighbours of Elvira and Michael were woken up at 4am following screams coming from Elvira Barney's apartment. So this, again, was not particularly unusual because they often had loud parties and blazing rows, but this time it would turn out to be much more serious. Um, A neighbour opposite, a Mrs Dorothy Hall, reported hearing Elvira saying... Get out! Get out! I'll shoot you! Sorry, I shouldn't shout at them. <laughs> and then Michael, she heard his voice saying, oh, I'm, I'm going. After which there was a gunshot when Stephen saying, what have you done? And Elvira in a, going, chicken, chicken, come back to me. I'll do anything chicken. you want me to. Apparently. So it seemed that she... But again... Um, another neighbour also said that they had two shots instead of one, but even that wasn't unusual enough for them to ring the police because everyone had heard Elvira fire her pistol um, yeah. in the home previously. She often threatened, made threats like this. So they didn't really think anything of it. Horrend- I mean, I can't believe they lived next 
it's a really nice neighborhood posh um so she can't get bothered to get out of bed just shooting out the light but then she's like. got the money too so at 4 40 a.m dr durant received a call from a sobbing Elvira Barney who begged him to come immediately as a man had shot himself in her home and that he was now bleeding to death. So upon his arrival, Dr. Durant um, found Michael Scott Stephen sort of sat up against the wall in the landing of the flat. One leg was dangling over down the stairs and a revolver lay on the floor by his left hand. He was right-handed, if you were interested. And he was very clearly dead. It would later be discovered that he a bullet had about three or four inches down from his collarbone was lodged in his ribcage. Yeah, no one shoots himself in the ribcage. So cage. his cause of death was actually blood loss. It would have taken well over ten minutes for him to actually die. So upon his arrival, Elvira Barney, I think she, she seemed like she didn't want to believe he was dead. So when the doctor said he's dead she went hysterical she threw herself on top of his body she started kissing his face frenziedly all over and insisting that she was going to kill herself rather than live without him she's like if he's dead i'm just gonna die and make it a massive scene after some calming down she then told the doctor that michael had said he was going to leave her and that in response she'd threatened to kill herself if he left so because he had tried to stop her They'd both wrestled over the gun, which was then accidentally fired. And then they both reached for the gun. Exactly. There was also a mark on the landing wall, which looked like a ricochet from a bullet. And she claimed that that was from a warning shot that she'd made on a previous occasion when he tried to leave her. Not as the doctor suspected that she'd been aiming and firing at him. So police arrived around 7.30am because... He'll still be dead in the morning. Let's not go crazy. <laughs> yeah, let's go lying. And the inspection of the revolver showed an irregularity in the chamber. So I don't know. With those old revolvers, it'd be like a five cartridges. You could put you like flick it out and it's in a little circle. And mm. One of those ones I'm imagining. And the cartridges were in the order of, so there'd been one discharged, one still there live, one discharged and two left live. So they'd basically skipped one. Right. Uh, which was, of course, weird. Like, you think you just mm. shoot them in order is normal. So they then tried to ask Mrs. Barney some questions. And once again, she went into her full hysteria and ordered them to get out of her flat. She did eventually calm again and repeated her story to the inspector pretty much exactly as she had done before. But then the police inspector still said, OK, you're going to have to come to the police station. At which she responded by slapping him straight across the face and saying, I'll teach you to say you'll put me in a cell, you vile swine. (laughs) I mean, he didn't say that. So he said, just come in for questioning. Yeah, she flipped the fuck out. At the station, Elvira's statement claimed that this fight that led to the accidental shooting had started over an argument about another woman. But police said there was no sign of a struggle in the flat and they had enough doubt about her version to charge her with the murder. Which I think interesting, so there's no sign of struggle in the flat. Maybe she had a cleaner still in servants because if you're having a lot of party, if I have one party or if I have two people over, the house is going to look like there's been a fucking struggle in here for at least a week (laughs) afterwards. So if they're used to having a lot of loud parties, someone else must be cleaning up. Yeah, for sure. 
So the neighbour that I mentioned before, Mrs. Hall, she made a statement to the police and said that there had been a previous attempt on Michael's life by Elvira a couple of weeks before this fatal shooting. So she told how she'd seen Michael leave the flat and then a naked Elvira was hanging out of the window with a gun in her left hand. And she apparently shouted out the window, laugh, baby, laugh for the last time. And then fired a shot. Dorothy recalls seeing a puff of smoke and hearing the gunshot. So it seemed very likely that she was going to get found guilty of murder. And at the very least, um, death during attempted suicide, which apparently was a thing at the time. So Elvira's parents obviously loaded hired a very well-renowned defence lawyer called Sir Patrick Hastings, who had been involved in a couple of other sort of society scandal cases. And the trial took place beginning the 4th of July in 1932. So the prosecution um, emphasised the history of these violent rows um, to show that they were obviously it was likely that she could have done it in temper. They said there was basically a lack of any other logical explanation. I mean, if she didn't pull the trigger and shoot Michael, who did? Yeah. It was very unlikely that he could have done it himself, so it was you. And the defence were trying to sow doubt in their mind in a number of ways. So the first thing was a couple of letters that were brought into evidence at trial that were found in the flat. So, first of all, they found a letter that uh, Michael had written to Elvira. And it said, baby, little fatable. This little note... Little what, sorry? Fatable. Bit rude. No, I wouldn't be having it either. Probably shoot you. said, this little note is to be awaiting your arrival in the place in which I've been happiest all of my life. Be brave, my dear, dear darling, and take care of yourself for me, because you're mine. Bit possessive. Don't forget your... Mickums, I'll be thinking of you always. Forgive me all the dreadful, horrible things I've done, baby. It's really hard to be English and say baby. 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 Like it doesn't... Baby. Like it can be like, hey, baby. But I can't be like, <laughs> baby. I promise to be better and kinder so you won't be frightened anymore. I love you. Only you in all the world. So then he found um, the reply to that from Elvira, which said... My darling baby, I had I nearly had heart failure reading your letter. It was so divine. I've never been so thrilled over reading anything before. I really <laughs> do love you, darling. You hand me the biggest thrills I've ever had, my sweet. I assume we mean the big O there. That bomb sucks. And all I hope is that we can go on being thrilled endlessly. I adore you when you're so sweet and kind to me, as I haven't had a lot of affection in my life as you have had. So you see, it means a great deal. I feel like suicide when you're angry. Oh, good Lord. Don't be jealous with me, baby, please. As I suffer so much from that too, I won't let you down. God knows why I should when you're so lovely. Proper gushing. But the point being that this confirmed the idea that she was ready to kill herself over tiny things. She said that she was the reason this had happened because she was threatening to kill herself if he left. And then here we have this note where she's saying, I would die. Mm. So it seemed to make sense. Um, the next thing that they were able to show was they talked about fingerprints being on the gun. So they said, well, if Elvira was shooting with the intention of killing him, there would be her prints. If it had been hit, if it had been a struggle between them both, either there would be both sets of prints or 
all prints would have been sort of wiped in this struggle, is what they were trying to say. I don't know if that could happen, but they're saying it's it would smushed. Be, become twisted around and smushed and there'd be no prints on it whatsoever. Um, no one had actually looked at the fingerprints on the gun straight away. So by the time they got to looking Just at it... passing it around. Oh, look at this murder weapon. Yeah, the only fingerprints they had on it were fingerprints from police officers oh, and God. inspectors. So not argued it so they could say this showed the wrestle. Um, they inspected Elvira in custody and said that there were bruises and marks on her hands and wrists that would likely have come from a stronger man wrestling with her for the gun. Now, then they tried to argue, well, actually, he was quite a delicate man. He wasn't this big, strong guy. If he was grabbing a wrist, it probably wouldn't leave this mark. How delicate was he? I don't know. (laughs) They keep using an angel's kiss to her her skin. You have to get... When it's like the 20s, anything is just like... You have to read between the lines. Like They're just saying that he's gay. He's He's a dress designer. He's delicate. (laughs) Like... You could only have massaged her skin. He wears a handkerchief. No That's... gay man would ever hurt a woman. Exactly. They also then, one of their biggest things was that they tried to sow seeds of doubt over Mrs. Hall's testimony. I think the biggest thing they said for saying it was murder is that she tried to kill him before. And Mrs. Hall said, yes, I've seen her try and kill him before. So then they talked about the fact that she said she'd seen a puff of smoke before the gunshot on that day. Is that how guns work? I guess old guns would have been a puff of smoke. Exactly. It seems that this was sort of around the time that some guns held a cartridge which didn't produce smoke, which was the kind Elvira had. So they thought, you're probably just assuming that you saw it because that's who you expect to see. You didn't. And then lastly, there was the unusual discharge sequence. So if you pull the trigger back fully on this type of gun, it rotates the cartridge and discharges but a half pull would just rotate it right without actually discharging it so they argued that they could have done two half pulls so it would rotate and then rotate again and it's likely that you would get half pulls like this if you were struggling over mm-hmm. the gun so elvira barney's testimony um in it she she held up she stuck exactly to her story. She just made slight clarifications saying that instead of saying, I'll shoot you, as they had been overheard, she said, I'll just, I'll shoot, meaning herself. They then, it is very Chicago. Yeah, he, was, he was razzle-dazzling them because then he was like, put the gun down and he was like, pick up the gun and show me how a woman like you would handle it. She did. Like with a little finger, like, oh, yeah. I could never... How does this thing work? Like, pointing it the wrong way. Basically, she picked up the gun, but did it with her right hand and confirmed that she was right-handed, whereas Mrs. Hall had said that she definitely saw the gun in her left hand. So, like, bitch, you, like, not interested. But it's easy to brief someone to say, when you pick this gun up, pick it up with your right hand. Yeah, do it in a way you wouldn't normally do it, which is the opposite hand. So, the jury, after hearing all of this deliberated for less than two hours before returning a verdict of not guilty of murder and not guilty of manslaughter. And she was totally acquitted. So after her, I mean, there was, Maurice did find some sources where the judge in the case spoke about it and he basically said, oh, I could have directed the jury a bit more closely (laughs) Uh, because he didn't, he didn't think that she was innocent. No. But you can't control a jury. 
So after her acquittal, she went back to her extravagant party lifestyle. But she was no longer a bright young thing. Despite her being still quite young, only in her 20s when this happened, she was involved in a car crash. She contributed to drink heavily. And she ended up at the age of like 29 looking incredibly bloated and haggard. Like when you see the pictures of her, yes, she was quite attractive as a young woman. But then most of the images you will see were her just after the trial, which she looks like she's fucking 40. Vegan diet would sort that right out. I don't know. You can't look that old that quick unless it's a lot of drugs. So there was an interview with a um, publication a couple of years afterwards where she spoke about being tired of her notoriety. She was fed up of walking into a club and everyone staring at her. Um, in a messed up face. Yeah, saying that a lot of people were only hanging around with her because uh, of what she'd done. And they mm. obviously weren't the kind of people that weren't particularly good friends if they want to hang around with her just because they think she murdered someone. <laughs> they were like the... 20s equivalent, 30, 40s equivalent of us. Yeah, Tell me everything! Is, no, this is really quickly afterwards. This is still like... Um, 30s. Early 30s. And so she basically was saying that she was going to go and spend a lot of time abroad, uh, leave London behind. And it was on one such trip abroad, Christmas Day, 1936. Um, she'd been out in Paris and she was later found in her hotel room, um, blood and spit around her mouth dead shit at the age of 31 past it then anyway well when you're married to a gay man i don't think it really matters it said that she was with another i don't understand maybe she just i don't know i don't want to what did the blog write i think happened Oh, he thinks she killed. Um, there's loads of. He also thinks Maurice. He thinks that there's a lot of fantasy and a lot of embellishment around this case, um, because obviously it's that that time when this was like Chicago scandal news. Like people, you wanted it as entertainment. So a lot of newspaper articles from the time did just put loads of stuff in there that wasn't true, saying that she'd been married like three five times before this and that she was some sort of black widow man eater like they tried to demonize her i mean i'm not saying she's a victim i don't think she's like ruth ellis in like when i I think i got criticized for it but i did have a lot of sympathy for ruth ellis when you told of her story i don't think this is quite the same category she didn't have a lot of luck with men but she was definitely the domineering aggressor in a lot of these situations and she held the power that's the difference she had the money so that in all of her relationships she was the strong one but Ruth Ellis had been whacked in the stomach and lost a baby hadn't she yeah whereas she didn't really lose a lot nope no thank you for listening Thank you, patrons, for using our new laptop that we bought with Patreon money. It's so shiny and quick. It's so fast. Um, so editing this is probably going to take the same amount of time, but we'll feel nicer to do. Uh, so thank you for that. And um, it's going to be so good. Like I used to um, try and select something to change in the audio, press it, and then have to go and boy- make a cup of tea while it figured it out. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I won't be able to use the mouse again for a while. I used to have to send it to you to upload it. My computer was like, nope. Um, so that we really appreciate that. Um, I hope you all had a lovely um, holidays, uh, Christmas if you celebrate it, New Year's. So thank you. If you would like to support the podcast, please support us on Patreon, leave us a review, tweet us, tell your friends, anything like that. Um, we love doing it. So thank you for listening. Yeah. For listening. Thank you for everyone that stuck with us for the whole of 2017, mm-hmm. our first full year. 
um, doing the podcast and we hope to have lots more exciting things happen in 2018. And don't forget Patreons, you can keep voting for the next Slash and Dash if you're a dollar or more Patreon as well. Okay, so see you soon. Take care. And remember, listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. Threatening to kill yourself if your boyfriend wants to leave you because he probably wasn't that good anyway. I mean, what was he contributing? He had no job. He probably didn't fancy you that much. Like, just get rid of him. Don't lose your own life. Yeah, that does. So, bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.